I'm going to preach tonight on a very sensitive subject. I'd like for you to get out your pencil and paper. If you need a worksheet, I, need, I want you to lift your hand and get one. Because what I'm going to talk about tonight, I don't want to be misunderstood. And I want you to be able to uh, uh, have something in hand to, uh, to help in the future. I think that what I'm going to head with this sermon is going to be helpful to all of us. And if you have a New Testament at hand, uh, you'll need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and find that place and then put your finger at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12. I want to talk tonight about um, speaking in tongues or Glossolalia. I want to refer to that um, phenomenon uh, with that term from this point on. Glossolalia. It is an increasing phenomenon in, mo in modern Christianity, not just in Pentecostal circles, but in some uh, areas, some churches that are extremely liturgical. Glossolalia. The term glossolalia is a combination of two words, glossa, which means tongue, and lalea, which means speaking. So, of course, it means speaking in tongues. A definition of glossolalia is this. It is Holy Spirit-inspired utterances that are unintelligible. If you want to put that down as a definition, it's the best I can do. Spirit-inspired utterances that are unintelligible. It is uttering sounds which are unintelligible to oneself. It is seen as a God-given capacity for prayer and praise, valuable because it enables the worshiper to sustain and even enhance attitudes of adoration and petition and intercession that he could not do otherwise. Now my concern tonight is not with those who claim the gift of glossolalia, the gift of speaking in tongues. My concern is with the extra-biblical claims that some people make concerning glossolalia. For example, that to speak in tongues is the, is the a sign of salvation, that when you are really saved, you will speak in tongues. To, for example, that it is the insignia of the Spirit-filled life. I believe these are extra-biblical claims that distort the doctrine of glossolalia or the subject of glossolalia. So my concern tonight is not with those who claim the gift, but with the extra-biblical claims that some make concerning the gift that distort the, the, the subject of, of glossolalia. My concern tonight is with the non-glossolalist who overreact, who would quench the Spirit of God in the church and who would say that that to speak in tongues is a phenomenon that is motivated and inspired by Satan himself. Now, I've heard that before. 
that speaking in tongues is not of God, but of Satan. I speak to those non-glossolalias who overreact and make that claim. Now, glossolalia, as I see it in the New Testament, now, I must say parenthetically that I'm not absolutely sure that all of what we call tongue-speaking in the modern day is what was tongue-speaking in the Corinthian church. Now, that's parenthetical, and that's another problem. But I want to talk about glossolalia as it is glossolalia in the Corinthian church, not being certain that everything we call tongue-speaking or glossolalia today is, is what was tongue-speaking or glossolalia in the Corinthian church. For example, I don't believe that when someone sits down and instructs one as to how to speak in tongues, that is, by instructing them to loosen their jaw and say words or phrases in rapid-fire uh, repetition, um, I, I think that is induced and learned tongue-speaking and, and not necessarily what is glossolalia in the Corinthian church. But glossolalia in the Corinthian church, in the New Testament, is one of the nine spiritual gifts these gifts are functional. That is, they relate to the whole. They relate to the body of Christ. And they are related to being a part of the people of God in the world. Now, to have a spiritual gift was the privilege of every New Testament Christian. And none were excluded. None were left out. Every New Testament believer, every Christian, has one or more spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts are functional and related to the whole. All of the gifts of the New Testament, as we have mentioned many times in this series on spiritual gifts, are for the benefit of all the members of the body. That gets them out of the category of merit badges. It gets them out of the category of rewards. Spiritual gifts are not insignias and they are not adornments indicating a level of commitment. I must say that again. No spiritual gift is an adornment or an insignia that signifies one's level of commitment. Nowhere is there any substantiation for that kind of claim. Now, if you have your New Testament and you'll look at chapter 12, I want to read verses 28 through 30. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? Now, in the Greek New Testament, that is a, a distinctive, called a distinctive negative particle. Now, that doesn't mean a thing to you, except when somebody explains what that means. A distinctive negative particle in the Greek New Testament demands an answer no. If it is a distinctive particle, it, is, it demands an answer yes. But every time it is a distinctive negative particle, it demands the answer no. So he's saying, all are not prophets, are they? Of course not. All are not 
apostles, are they? Of course not. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. So what he's saying in this text is that the the gift of glossolalia is not for every person in the body, in the church. Just as every uh, person is not to preach or not to be an administrator, etc., it is absolutely ludicrous to suggest that everybody is to speak in tongues. All right, now what are some characteristics of glossolalia? 14th chapter. I want to just list some of those, outline them for us, and you just take a look at them with me. Number one, glossolalia is speech that is addressed to God. Now, when you, what, what this, whatever else this means, we're going to look at the fact that, that what happens in the assembly where people to get, get together, um, uh, what is the most important thing that takes place? All right? Now, Glossolalia is speech not addressed, not addressed to, to individuals from one individual to another. Glossolalia is speech addressed to God. Look at verse 2. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So it's speech addressed to God. Secondly, it is unintelligible, meaning that those who hear it do not understand what is being said. Look at what's left in chapter, in verse 2. For no one understands. This is speech addressed to God, and no one understands. But in His Spirit He speaks mysteries. All right? Second thing then is it is unintelligible. Those who are around, that is, those who are unable to interpret, do not understand what is being said. Third, the man who speaks does not understand what he said. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. He does not understand what he said. Number four, Glossolalia is a disengagement. Are you with me? Glossolalia is a disengagement of one's rationality. It is, I'm up here preaching on this and it just really disturbs me. Maybe I'm getting in the flesh now. I hear all these people out here listen to what I'm saying. And every day you encounter this and people want to know about it and absolutely nobody taking notes. Uh, well, not every, I shouldn't say nobody, but the majority of you aren't. Folks, we're dealing with something that you need to know about. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people out there who know what they believe about this. I mean, they, you know, and it's not always biblically correct. You need to know about this thing. All right, let me get back where I was. Spout it off a little bit. Fourth. Glossolalia is a disengagement of one's rationality. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, 
my spirit... Wait a minute. Therefore, if, um, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, my mind is often unfruitful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the word means to lie fallow. That's what it literally means, to lie fallow. Now, now my father used to farm, and every uh, so often he'd let the land lie fallow. What, he, what it was happening there was nothing was being grown on it. No, nothing was being harvested from it. It was lying fallow. It was neutral. Now, when one has the experience of glossolalia, his mind is, lies fallow. It's neutral. All right, number four, five. Verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So that verse number five is that glossolalia is an experience which can be controlled. Now sometimes somebody will say, well, I, I just lost control. I was caught up in it or in the spirit and I spoke and I wasn't I couldn't even control it I um, was reading a book this week called uh, Keeping Step with the Spirit by J.I. J. Packer and he told about this lady you know who would, maybe some uh, repairman would come to her house and she'd just burst out spontaneously and speak in tongues in his presence just you know scare the life out of the guy um and, 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 the, and say that she had no control. Look at verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now what that says to me is that the person has control. The spirit of prophets subject to prophets. Look at verse 15. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit and I shall sing with the mind also. Now what he's saying is this, that when I speak in tongues or when I have this glossolalia experience, it is, as, it is the act of my own will. I will speak in tongues, I will speak not in tongues. See, He has control over glossolalia. Now what is the value of glossolalia. Paul compares glossolalia with preaching. All right? Now, now watch this. If, if glossolalia is spirit-inspired utterances that are unintelligible, preaching is spirit-inspired utterances that are intelligible. If glossolalia is spirit-inspired utterances that you cannot understand, that are unintelligible, then preaching is spirit-inspired utterances that you can understand. And he establishes the fact that preaching is superior because of that and lists three reasons why. He lists three reasons why preaching is superior to glossolalia. Number one, verse four, because in preaching... The whole congregation is edified. Look at that verse 4. One who speaks in his tongue edifies himself, 
But one who prophesies, that is, one who proclaims, foretells, edifies the church. The whole congregation is edified when one preaches and when one has the glossolalia experience, it is edifying only to him. Second, it is superior, preaching is superior, secondly, because it can be understood by all. I want you to read verses 13 and 19, through 19 with me. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit, I shall pray with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? He's very concerned that there be well-placed amens in the congregation. That's important. At your giving, <laughs> at your giving thanks, since he does not know what you're saying. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Now watch this. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind that I may instruct others rather also, instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, those who are involved in the, in the, in the glossolalia movement, it would be well, if they seriously would be, uh, would consider verses 18 and 19, it would be helpful if they would. As a matter of fact, in some circles, the ratio is inverted. The ratio is inverted. In some circles, the ratio is the glossolalia has the focus rather than the preaching has the focus. And the whole thing is reversed. Third, preaching by a man can be used by the Spirit to win the loss to Christ. Look at verse 23 and 4. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all preach, if when you come to church, everything that's done there is preaching, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. Now what he's saying is this, that a person, if he comes in, he's lost, and the focus is on the glossolalia, the man says, those folks are crazy. But if he comes in and there is preaching there, that is spirit-inspired utterances that are intelligible, he's one to Christ. Now, now the conclusion. For those of us who overreact, the non-glossolalists who overreact, I want to I say something. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't relegate glossolalia 
to a kind of a modern religious neuroticism. I, I'm, I'm deeply distressed when I, when, I, when I hear stuff like, well, the people who speak in tongues, that's just a, something that rises out of middle-aged women's Sunday school class. It's purely emotional. Oh, my soul. That, that, that's, um, don't do that. Um, may I read this out of Packer's book? I want to read it word for word. Are you still out there? Your mind, is your mind unfruitful? Is it disengaged? Hang in there. Listen. It is clear that as a devotional exercise, glossolalia enriches some, but that for others it is a valueless irreverence. Some who have practiced it have later testified to the spiritual unreality for them of what they are doing, while others who have begun it have recorded a vast deepening of their communion with God as a result. And there is no reason to doubt either testimony. I say amen to that. Glossolalic prayer may help to free up and warm up some cerebral people just as structured verbal prayer may help to steady up and shape up some emotional people. Those who know that glossolalia is not God's path for them and those for whom it is a proven enrichment should not try to impose their way on others. Amen to that. Or judge others inferior or for being different or stagger if someone in their camp transfers to the other, believing that God has led them, him or her to do so. Those who pray with tongues and those who pray without tongues do it to the Lord. They stand or fall to their own master, not to their fellow servants. In the same sense that there is in Christ neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female. So in Christ there is neither glossolalius nor non-glossolalius. I say amen to that. Even if today's glossolalius do not speak such tongues as were spoken at Corinth, none should forbid them their practice, while they for their part should not suppose that every would-be top-class Christian, quote-unquote, needs to adopt it. Oh, that's it. I think I found where we ought to be. Is there a well-placed amen should be said? Now, the person who's, who is the glossolalius, let me say a word to him. Don't distort. Don't coerce. And you do this if you say that salvation is attended by glossolalia. You do distort and you do coerce when you say that you can equate the baptism of the Spirit with glossolalia. The person who speaks in tongues and who lacks agape love has less valid evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit than the man who has never spoken in tongues who has agape love. For to the Apostle Paul... The evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is agape love. The fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. How about the use of tongues in public assembly? Well, since Paul expressed 
experienced the gift of tongues more than all the Christians. And he refused to exercise the gift in the church. Must, it must be assumed that he exercised the gift in privacy. Now how do you build up the church with the gift of glossolalia if you do not exercise it in the church? You build up the church as you are being built up. And if the gift, God has given you that gift and it is building you up, you're going to build up the church and we're going to be built up by you. I'm not afraid of it, are you? Now, how about the messages that are supposed to come through tongues? Let me tell you something. I may be challenged on this. I'll stand the challenge. There's not a single, there's not a single incidence, incidence in the New Testament that we can point to as an example that God spoke to anybody through tongues or through tongues and an interpreter. Now, may I say something to kind of bring it together? To have an encounter with God and to come away enamored with the experience is sophisticated idolatry. I need to say that again. To have an encounter with God and to come away enamored with the experience is sophisticated idolatry. We are not to magnify the gift. We are to magnify the giver of the gift. And it's hard for me to conceive that the Holy Spirit would inspire the error that he inspired 1 Corinthians 14 to correct. Does it, does it seem like he would? That he would inspire the error that he inspired 1 Corinthians to correct. And so here we come together. Now we have a marvelous church. I myself do not have the gift of glossolalia. But let me tell you what, my brother who has that gift is my brother. And he can edify my life as he lives his Christian life out in me, in my presence. And I thank God for him. And somehow in the amazing uh, economy of God. He has somehow brought the church together and has enabled us to be a part of a body that He has brought together and has equipped and blessed. And let me tell you something. There is a desire by the Spirit of God abroad in the land to do his work unhindered in the world and I'm free to let him do it. Aren't you? In fact, I pray every day that the Holy Spirit will do whatever he sovereignly chooses to do in his office work and that I'd not be guilty of ever quenching him or hindering him. And I know that the only way I can so be to enable that is to respond in gracious love to those that are not like me. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a marvelous thing is your church. How wonderful. Lord, we aren't even able to comprehend what you're able to do. You've said that in your word, that we're not even able to imagine, even to ask or think what you can do. Lord, we want you to do what you want to do in our life and in our church. We don't want to stand God as a barrier in any way. Bless us, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, we love you. We're not a fearful. We know you're God. You do only what's right. Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your free access to every heart. I pray for it. And tear down every barrier with your power, O Holy Spirit. So the church is free to be in your presence and worship you, love you, serve you without any fear or trepidation. God bless this word, Lord. Help it to be accepted as a message that's come from the Lord because I pray in Jesus' name for His sake.